Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Hallowed Ground, the Sports Museum podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Stockman. We're back with another baseball episode. I have several other sports lined up, but with the dog days of summer here, I figured it's always time for a baseball museum conversation. Today I'm speaking with Adam Thompson, curator at the World of Little League Museum in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. U.S. regional tournaments are wrapping up as of this episode's release, and soon teams from all over the world will be arriving in Williamsport, a town of about 30,000 in the upper middle part of Pennsylvania. The museum is currently still closed to the public right now, and plans for reopening this fall will be announced via their website and social media pages. After my interview with Adam, I'll be highlighting some notable Little League alumni during this episode's overtime segment. Be sure to stay tuned after our interview for information on famous athletes who either participated in Little League or even made it to Williamsport. I hope you enjoy episode 12 of Hallowed Ground. Well, today on Hallowed Ground, I'm talking to Adam Thompson, curator at the World of Little League Museum in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Adam, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. I've always enjoyed getting to start off conversations with guests about their background and like starting their first. So you started out as a volunteer tour guide and just kind of showing people around the museum and then kind of got involved from there. And you've worked at Little League for like over 20 years now, I believe. So how did that kind of start? And have you always been a big baseball fan? Yeah, so actually, I grew up in South Williamsport, Pennsylvania, which is the home of the Little League World Series. So it's always been kind of a part of my life. And as a kid, the museum opened up in 1982. So when I was like in third grade, which would have been, I don't know, 86 or 87, uh, we came up here for a school tour. And then if you live in South Williamsport, you go to the Little League World Series. It's kind of the, you, you can't ignore it. It's this big event that goes on right down the street from you. And so right. we would ride our bikes down and you would go to the games, but then you would also come up to the museum and, and play around and have some fun. So I did that throughout my elementary school years. And I always loved coming to the museum. It's one of my favorite things. And I was a baseball fan as well. So it really helped. And then when I was in college, I went to uh, Lock Haven University, which is kind of halfway between Williamsport and State College. Uh, so it's about a half an hour, but I came home for the summer and I didn't have a job. And so I applied to be a tour guide here at the, uh, at the time as a Little League Museum. And I was lucky enough to get the job for the summer. And I just had so much fun working here. I was lucky enough after that first summer, I did a fairly decent job giving tours. I also was great at doing research for our curator at the time and, and the director that I was allowed to, if I was home anytime, I could come and work in the museum on the weekend. And I just continued doing that then. And then throughout the summers, uh, the rest of my college career, I ended up uh, working here. And it was such a blast. And I was lucky enough then after I graduated college that there was a position open, a full-time position. So I applied for it and I was lucky enough to get it. Now I've been here for 22 years total between my part-time and full-time. So uh, half of my life has been in this building. So I just had so much fun working in this building uh, and with, you know, it, it's a, such a small town, but like, like I see you have a Royals banner in the background and like, I got to meet George Brett, you know, when I was in college, I got to sit next to George Brett. And that was like the coolest experience for me, you know, just sitting right next to him during a ceremony outside. And we're just, I'm just sitting there. I'm like, George Brett's sitting right next to me. So it was such a, a cool experience to meet former baseball players and, and everybody else. So I am, 
I was lucky enough to stay. So um, that's how I kind of got in. I know a lot of people don't really have that type of experience where they kind of just started working as a part-time job and then you're working full-time. So I was just very lucky that there was an opening at the time. Yeah. There's been a couple other folks I've talked to for the podcast that have kind of just started out as volunteers and then some door opened and they kept just working there and they've been there 20 years like you have. So yeah, that does happen fairly often. So I think like just volunteering is a good way to just maybe get in your foot in the door or just kind of have a summer job like you did. So I think that's definitely something to keep thinking about. Yeah, definitely. Like I just started out as a tour guide. That was my job for that summer. And I walked around and I had, um, to deal with, you know, control 30 or 40 third graders, you know, and, but it was so much fun doing that. But then I was lucky enough to kind of work with our curator as well, because I really enjoyed just doing research. And so it just kind of worked out that those, I was good at both of those things, which really helps in museum world. I was a tour guide in my college days at my university and just loved it. It was a great job in the admissions office, giving prospective students tours and their families. And we did a few things with smaller kids and their, their groups and stuff, but yeah, I loved it. It was fun to just talk and interact and um, just communicate and got to think through some logistics of like, getting them to their next stop and doing all that. So I have a little bit of experience with that, which was a lot of fun. And it really helps. Like I wasn't necessarily shy, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, talking and speaking in public, you know, I think for everybody, it's a little bit tough, but right. when you, when you are, have that experience of you're walking around with, and you know, especially children as your audience, it's kind of nice because you can slip up and it's okay. Right. But then I found that like after that first year, when I got back in the college, I had no problem doing any of my public speaking classes or anything like that. So it was mm-hmm. kind of a neat experience there as well. Yeah. I'm kind of the same way. I'm more of an introvert, but then like I was a tour guide. So I kind of had to like put on my extrovert's face and just kind of be really a greeter and a friendly face and all that, which is yeah. not really like me, but I can turn it on and off kind of easily because I did it for a while. So what's been the biggest difference since you were um, like a college kid giving tours in the museum? Cause I'm sure it's changed a little bit over those 20 years or so. Yeah, so um, I mentioned that the museum opened up in 1982, and by 2012, we had decided that it was time to redo the museum. We were patching exhibits together, and you know, I, I often joke around using duct tape to keep things together. But um, in 2012, what was really nice was um, the organization, literally the organization as a whole, um, decided that it was time to focus on the museum and how can we make it better? And so instead of just, you know, piecing together exhibits, we decided to redo the whole thing. So we actually closed down in the end of 2012 with the Little League World Series. And once that ended, we closed down for about nine months and we knocked down the walls and redid the whole museum, which was a great, great, great experience. We actually worked with a crew from Boston, uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, Cambridge 7, and they have done the, the Patriots Museum up in Foxborough Hall up there. They also did the 49ers Hall in their stadium as well. So um, they've done some really big museums. And so, yeah, we were able just to kind of redo it completely. And back when it opened up in 1982, I mean, it was a great museum i mean i loved it when i was a kid but it felt dated you know it definitely had a little bit of that 80s vibe to it 
which is probably like popular again, but um, uh, by redoing it now, it does feel a little bit more timeless up there. We were able to update all of our technology, which makes everything about a million times easier. So on that end, like physically, we redid the whole thing, which is fantastic. As far as giving tours, that really doesn't change for me. Like um, speaking with the kids, they're all excited. So they're pretty much, it's, it's been an interesting thing to see giving a tour in 1999. There really isn't much difference now. They're still little leaguers. Mm-hmm. Like that little league age does not change. They're still 11 and 12 and they're kind of... I really don't see a, a huge difference. I will say like giving a tour, you know, we, we give tours and we tell a little bit of a story about how in the beginning of the little league program, girls weren't allowed to play. And it was kind of an unwritten rule in the beginning. I think they just assumed girls wouldn't, wouldn't be interested in playing. And then in the fifties, it actually was the rule. Girls are not allowed to play. And so by 1974 that changed and girls are now on the play baseball and they also started the softball program as well the little league softball program back in 1999 i would tell that story and the girls would just be like oh yeah that kind of makes sense you know girls aren't allowed to play i tell that story now and the girls like look at me like why like they don't you know so i can see like that's like one difference i've noticed you know like they're like what do you mean they're not allowed to play and then they're like questioning me about it and i'm like i wasn't alive back then like <laughs> that's not my rule yeah, yeah. I, i'm sorry but you know it, that's an interesting thing i you know was i think it particularly a couple of years ago we had a girl named monet davis pitch here in the little league world series and she was from nearby philadelphia and i think that her impact has changed you know i gave a virtual tour recently and we had to talk about monet davis the, the third graders wanted to know about monet davis and they were like three years old when she pitched so, you know, there's that kind of a change I've noticing, you know, and Little League has a program called Girls with Game, which is a great initiative that they've started a couple of years ago. So, but for the most part, like I said, the kids are still pretty much the same. They're all Little Leaguers. And at the end of the day, there's really not much change. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that technology that you mentioned, because on the website, there's this cool uh, touch table. And then you mentioned offline that you can like update information with like that year's highlights very quickly. So that seems really neat. So what's the biggest benefit of that and how has that kind of shifted since you started? So when I started working in 1999, we had highlights that you could watch games, the world series championship game. And at the time it was on Laserdisc, which is, very obsolete um it didn't take off but we had two laser disc players and so each year we would have to have the highlights updated from whatever happened you know so the 1999 would get installed and you had to have a new laser disc made and that would take a month or two then we moved the dvd and still it took you know a month or two the new system that we have now, it's a highlight machine. On it, we can have pictures of every team in every Little League World Series. On the baseball side, we can also add all the softball side as well. There's a picture of the program and we also can have highlights. So we'll have like the highlights from the championship game from years past. 
because for the most part, those are the only games that aired in the 60s and 70s. But now, let's say the Little League World Series is, is, is going on. We have a video production team. The organization does, uh, Little League overall organization. So they'll have highlights from certain games and they can play them on Facebook. You know, I can take those highlights and sit at my computer and upload them to the machine that night instantly. And that team can come in and visit the museum that day. Let's say they, their game is in until like three o'clock and they have some time they need to uh, burn. So they want to come visit the museum. They can go over and they're like, oh, our picture's up here already. Or, hey, we're in the museum. Or, oh, wow, that's the highlights from last night. They're already showing them on here. So just the fact that I can do it so instantly, it's, it's amazing. Even like updating anything um, in the past, it would take months to update certain things. And now we can do it with the highlights machine fairly quickly. That's neat. Um, we have two films that are kind of uh, signature films of the museum. One is about the Little League program overall. That's the first thing you would see. And then we also have one about the Little League World Series. And in the middle of that section is the highlights from the World Series past, you know, like the, so currently the 2019 ones are on there. As soon as we get the 2021 ones, that'll be on there, like in a matter of a day. Whereas before it was like, okay, it's February. We're loading the highlights from last year. So, and we also have an awards exhibit, which is we installed in 2019, it's very similar. Like literally gives out awards each year, the mom of the year, the volunteer of the year, the softball volunteer of the year. And I can have that all ready to go by the time they come into the museum, even to the point where there's like a video uh, ESPN may have filmed one of them getting the awards that night. The next day that film is on there for them to see. So, cause we don't know if they're going to get the opportunity to come back to the museum. So you know, it might be, a, especially with some of these teams, it's a once in a lifetime thing. Kids from Australia, you know, when are they going to come back over? Kids from Uganda or someplace like that. So it's kind of cool to be able to update it while it's all happening. So it really does. I mean, it's expensive to get the equipment and everything, but in the long run, it's really beneficial. And it, you end up saving money just from updates oh, yeah. alone. So yeah, I, I've, I've, loved every second of being able to update things so quickly. It's amazing. And uh, the Cortina Productions has done some great work. That's who we've worked with in our museum. And they've done a lot of work for various museums. So, and the, the, the big table that you're talking about, it's kind of a cool feature where you can go in and try to find your league on a map. You then have the ability to upload up to five photos of your league. And so what I think is nice is I don't have enough case space to have something from every league from across the world, but you can be represented in our museum on that table, which is kind of a nice little feature. So we try to encourage anybody from any league to send us photos and it's a little form on the website that you can fill out and I can upload it in a matter of minutes and I just have to approve it and we're good to go. So, but it, it's a, it's a great way for everybody to be represented in the museum. That's cool. Yeah. Because little league is huge. It's not just in the U S that's all over the place, Australia, Uganda, Chinese Taipei, they are strong every year, Japan. Yeah. So can you kind of talk about that? Like the global aspect of little league and the museum itself is called the world of little league museum, which I think is really cool. So just talk about the global reach of, literally generally, but then how that impacts the museum, especially during the World Series. 
Sure. So Little League, when it started, it was basically just three teams here in Williamsport. And the idea now that it's, you know, played in places like Uganda, Nigeria, um, over in Europe, it, it, it really is a cool thing to see. And we're lucky that when the Little League World Series is played, that you get to have players from all around the world. And at the end of the day, they're all ball players. Like the basics are there, but it's fun to see their interact with each other, right. the players. Now it's amazing to see is they all have some type of iPhone or Android phone and they can talk to each other just by using the translators. Whereas in the past, you know, they, they may not have been able to kind of interact with each other so they can actually speak with each other. And I think that really kind of helps them understand each other. What I've seen particularly is I think it's great for the players to really get a chance to meet other players from different cultures and really get a chance to really understand each other. And they all become friends. The way the system is set up here on the complex, they stay here. We have dorms, a grove area, and in the grove, they're the only ones allowed in there. Uh, the media is not allowed in there. Their parents aren't allowed in there. It's a place for them to kind of get away from everything. But we have it set up that it's an international team next to a team from the United States. So that way they're, they definitely have to interact with each other. And it, it's really fun to see that because in the beginning, they're all kind of quiet. But by the end of the 10 days, they're all interacting and having fun with each other. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, they're the only ones who are having that experience. Like nobody else can in the world is saying, you know, it's, it's the, it's the closest thing to like the Olympics, I would think for some of these kids and having like an Olympic village almost is, it's, it's, it's neat to see, but it's also neat just, I think, you know, like we see kids that come here from different countries that may not come from very, they're not well off or, you know, like um, we had some kids from Uganda here one year and they didn't have, you know, a ton of extra clothes. I remember them briefly practicing in their bare feet because they were just used to practicing in their bare feet. It's more comfortable, but they get new cleats. They get all this new equipment. So I think then other players can look at that and go, oh, not everybody has it as easy as what we might have it. You know, like you might just look at a glove and just think, oh, it's just my glove and that's it. But like to some kids, like they had to share a glove. But um, yeah, it, it's a neat thing. And it, it, I think it's, it's also just great to see the kids are getting along. They're having fun with, with each other. And you're just like, I hope this yeah. continues. I hope when they get older, they'll remember that experience. I, I've talked to people from the 60s that played here. There was a guy from Canada once and he was still pen pals with a guy from Japan. So like they still, and you know, it's now it's even easier for these kids to stay in contact with each other through social media and email and everything like that. So yeah, it's an, it's a neat thing to see how they still kind of interact because yeah, it's like, they're the only ones who've ever done it. I hadn't even thought about that with the translators on your phone now, like they can communicate. I had never thought about that where, yeah. How else would they know what the other country is talking about or anything like that, but they, they're yeah. able to do that now. So that's cool. And I know the museum has like audio guides in different languages. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, we wanted to make sure that, cause we're going to have, you're always going to have a team in a, in a normal year, but a Japanese team may come in or, you know, people from different countries. So we um, reached out to some local colleges and they were able to, you know, help us do translators for them. 
it's great for them to kind of really go through and understand the museum. Whereas before they might not kind of grasp some of the things that are going on, but now they can hear the story, but it's fun translating. I think one of the, the funny things that made me laugh was like, there's no translation for home plate in Italian. Cause if you say home plate, it may sound like a dinner plate. So yeah, it's, it's kind of like certain baseball terms don't translate, which is kind of fun, but, uh, yeah, and it's it's a lot of people do appreciate it. Whenever we do have teams from different countries in here, we make sure that they get the the audio guides and they can listen to. They're getting the same experience as everybody else. That inclusivity is pretty neat. Where yeah, people all over come to the museum, and you want to make sure that they have access to stuff in their own language and culture. Yeah. So, yeah, that's awesome that the museum does that. I wanted to mention Peter McGovern, who or he was a little league president, and can you kind of talk about? him and his impact on Little League and the museum is partially like named after him, it seems like. So what was his impact on Little League? He started in the program in the 50s and was the first full-time president. No, Carl Stott started the Little League program in 1939. And then in 50s, after it became incorporated, um, McGovern was the first uh, full-time president. His impact, I think, especially is just the growth of the organization going from, you know, small North American thing to all over the world. He uh, was the president up until the 70s, and then he was also still on the board for many years. So it was sort of his vision to have this museum. And so when it came time to, after he had passed away, they decided it was made sense to name it the Peter J. McGovern Little League Museum. And it stayed that name up until... In 2012, we actually made the shift to calling it the world of Little League. And uh, we also wanted to make sure it still had the Peter J. McGovern. McGovern really helped with the growth of the organization. There was another gentleman from that era. His name is Dr. Creighton Hale, who later went on to become the president of the organization after McGovern. Now, Dr. Hale is the gentleman who um, invented the batting helmet, which is used not just in Little League, but now throughout all baseball. So, yeah, there were the three most instrumental men in the beginning. Carl Stott started the program. McGovern was the president in the 50s that helped really expand it, and, and Dr. Hale on the safety side. Yeah, that's neat. Because Little League, I remember watching it every year on ESPN, and they would show the grove and the village area where the teams would live, and then both fields. And then it's just really fun to see, especially when you're that age. I remember because I played ball growing up and you like watch the kids that are your size, your age, and they're playing on those big fields. And it's just kind of really neat to see kids from other countries playing. Like you said, that's, that's really cool. So when they come to the museum, what are some of the things that they see? We've mentioned like some of the tech stuff and some of the different exhibits, but what else um, will people see if they come to the museum? Well, I mentioned the two signature films and the first signature film is really about the Little League program. And it's not about the Little League World Series. And this theater is in the middle of the museum because it touches everything, every other gallery. And I, I also should mention, so we have galleries like any other museum, but we call them innings. And we just happen to have six innings, which is the same amount of innings in a little league baseball or softball game okay. so this film is it's a really great film because it really focuses on the idea that little league is yeah it's kids playing baseball and softball but it also is a community program like your parents or your coaches 
your neighbor may be the umpire like they're all volunteers the town really gets behind these teams so that's something that they get to see right from the beginning and then we kind of set it up where you're really learning about the early years of the program so i think one of the neatest things to see when a when a person or players they do come in we have items from the Stotts family that they loaned them loaned their items to us to be able to put on display so we have the very first home plate carved from the piece of black rubber we had the very first uniform and we tell the kids that uniform there cost a dollar fifty back in 1939 we have the very first base um, that Stats created. And we also have, with the technology side is, we're able to have audio moments throughout the museum. So there's a picture of Carl Stotts and you push a button and you can hear Carl actually telling his story about how he kind of set the bases up originally. Like there was a process to figure out what the 60 feet would be. Mm-hmm. Talking about recruiting kids in the neighborhood to join the program. So you actually can hear their stories. And we do try to interview people when they do come in, if they have like a particular uh, interesting story. That way we can keep that audio moment in case we want to use it for something else in the future. So you can see some of the early stuff. And I I just love showing off early uniforms and early equipment to kids. One of my favorite stories was in 2011, we had a, a team here from Kentucky and ESPN called up and they said, hey, can you bring down some old catcher's equipment? So I went down to Volunteer Stadium, brought the old equipment. I'm standing there with Nomar Garcia Para, which is cool. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, this is great. And we put the old equipment on one of the players. And catcher's equipment in the 30s and 40s, it's not <laughs> super protective. So he put it on and he was just like, oh, this is so small and not protecting anything. And we're like, okay, let's throw some fastballs at him. He's like, nope, not happening. So, but we got some photos of him wearing that kind of stuff. So it's fun to show off some of those old things. We're like, hey, I bet you love your uniform that you're wearing right now, but look at what they had to wear in the thirties and forties. That's flannel and it's 90 degrees outside. So really seeing that. And then there is a fun area for the kids when they do visit the museum where they can see how fast they run from home plate to first base. Cause mm-hmm. we want to make sure little league is an, an athletic program. You have to have something in here that there's an activity for them to kind of do. They can pretend they're a shortstop where the balls light up on the wall. And so you hit a button and then a ball lights up and you have to go hit the ball. If you get it right, the crowd cheers. If you miss the ball, the crowd groans. We also have something is, and this is simple, it's a jumping wall. So you can pretend you're robbing a home run. We have baseballs that go all the way up to 10 feet. And one of the cool experiences I had with that was walking around with Torrey Hunter, who is, you know, one of the greatest center mm-hmm. fielders of all time. He saw that wall and he, these kids were running and jumping and seeing how high they could get. And he stopped and he goes, oh, let me show you how it's done. So I thought like, man, these kids don't, you know, they're learning from Torrey Hunter. Definitely. Um, and you can also pretend you're a catcher as well, where it's a 3D exhibit and Mike Mussina pitches to you. Mike Mussina used to pitch for the Orioles, Yankees, Hall of Famer, grew up 15 minutes away. We do have those activities, but then they can also watch the highlights from the World Series past, which is fun. Yeah, the, I mean, those are some of the highlights. We do have something called the Hall of Excellence, which, you know, the literally, it's not a Hall of Fame, you know, like we don't necessarily have things in this museum that are singling out people 
we don't really, you know, if somebody were to call me up today and say, my kid hit a home run, can, can I give you the ball for the museum? I mean, I would probably maybe take it, but at the same time, I don't know if it would ever go on display because it's an individual thing. We do single out some people called the Hall of Excellence. And those are former little leaguers. And the idea is that they're role models. They played little league. They talked about their little league, little league experience and they've taken what they've learned from their experience, the idea of character, courage, loyalty, teamwork, mm -hmm. and applied it to whatever profession they've chosen. So we have people from all walks of life in that hall of excellence. And it's not based on your stats. You know, if you go to another hall of fame area, that's stat driven. Um, so, you know, we have a guy who is an astronaut, Dr. Story Musgrave. He fixed the Hubble telescope. Um, we have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, went on to play basketball. Kat Osterman um, is a softball player. We have somebody who was the principal of the year, you know, and so it's kind of all walks of life. And the idea is that these people can be role models for children. So when I give a tour to a class, I may say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And let's face it, they're third graders. They might not know. Um, but some of them, if one of them says, hey, I want to be a firefighter, well, we can point out to somebody in the Hall of Excellence who played Little League who went on to become a firefighter. So um, that's kind of a neat little area too. So we try to make the museum that there's something for everyone. And usually when people come in, you know, it's a family. So there might be something for the parents, but then there's also something for the, the children. So it's fun seeing the parents run on a running track though. So they'll try to get a faster time than their kids. So um, we always kick out of watching that. Kind of have that friendly competition for sure. And you mentioned Torrey Hunter. I loved Torrey Hunter growing up. He would always kill my Royals with his catches and hitting home runs, but uh, <laughs> yeah. great player for the Twins and Angels and Tigers. And yeah, it's probably really cool um, to have people from ESPN, people from MLB to interact with the Little Leaguers. And I know that that happens every year. So that's... Uh, probably awesome experience, not only for you at the museum, but for the kids. Cause like you said, like very few of them will end up like Tory Hunter or Mike Bucina playing major league baseball or professional softball, but they're still going to be able to learn from those experiences, learn from those other cultures and then become a firefighter or a teacher or a lawyer or something where they can still have character and teamwork. And it's probably the highlight of their lives to be on ESPN and play in Little League World Series. So that's kind of cool that you not only emphasize the baseball part, but it's like, hey, this is more about teamwork and working together and stuff like that. So that's that's really cool that the museum kind of does both there. Yeah, yeah. That, we want people to kind of, when they walk out, to kind of think about what the program meant to them. And I mean, it's great like if you win, but it's also, it's okay if you lose. I think that's what, you know, we want people to kind of, it's it's not so much, it's the experience of little league i think is what we hope they when they're walking out of here going oh yeah you know i i talk to people all the time and they have their little league stories and it's really amazing because some of these people might even be in their 60s or 70s and it's so vivid for them to talk about and i hear their stories and they're great and I even go back to my own little league days, you know, I didn't, I only played a year and I only had one hit, but I remember that hit. I'm sure. It's almost 35 years ago and I still remember that feeling. So, mm -hmm. um, we get a lot of people when they're leaving this museum, they're very 
kind of emotional thinking about because I think they look back at the little league program as their friends, it's their, their parents are probably involved. So like if their mom and dad were their coaches, it's really a, a neat thing. We actually, and I, I know I'm rambling a little bit, but um, Joe Madden, the, the coach for uh, the angels now, that team is coming to the little league world series this year. And they're going to be um, playing the MLB classic it's called. And so our president, Mr. Keener, was actually interviewing him um, recently uh, for Little League Week that we had. And we found his roster in our archives. And so we gave it to Mr. Keener to, he mentioned that. He goes, hey, we have your roster here. And Madden knew the team name and just started rambling off his teammates. Like, bam, 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 bam. You know, and, and these were, you know, I think the impact of that program for him, it, just, it was a really neat thing. That, the fact that he was, yeah, this naming off names like that, I was just like, oh, that's so great. I, it was fun to be able to find that. That is really cool. And, and, and present that to him. Definitely. I want to talk now about the impact of the pandemic on the museum and, and how you've kind of shifted do, doing a lot of stuff digitally. And there's like a, a walking tour that's more outside and, and safer. So what does that look like for the museum? And then some of the things that you all maybe have learned from this experience. So when the pandemic started, I mean, we were kind of like everybody else, you know, like there's this thing going on. We're not sure what. And so right. in March of 2020, we kind of got the heads up that we were going to close for, at the time we thought two weeks which I think is probably everybody's experience where it's just two weeks. And then it turned into something a little bit longer than that. And we actually, as a museum staff, had to work from home. And the first two weeks, it was a little bit tough because you're thinking, I don't know what I can start on right now because I'm going to be back in the museum. I'm going to be giving tours in a month, you know? So, but once I realized that it wasn't going to be, two weeks it was kind of like okay so let's figure out what we can get done and so one of the things that we really focused on was and a lot of museums are doing it is they're digitizing their collections literally one of the greatest things about the little league program is we have thousands of photos from the world series and we've digitized quite a bit of them in the past but there was still like 10,000 of them that still needed to get done negatives we're not just scanning you know, normal things. So it was one of those things where like, okay, let's focus on this. And so I started a major digital program here. And then we also use Facebook with, I think a lot of people use to stay connected with people. So while I was scanning these photos, I was putting them up on Facebook occasionally and saying, oh, you know, check out this from 1968, never before seen photos. That was a project that I always wanted to kind of do, but didn't have the time. So when you work in a, a museum, and I, and many of the museums you're probably speaking to, we're a small staff and we were a staff of four full-time people at that time. And we had some part-time folks who worked in our store. So you wear a lot of different hats when you work in a smaller museum. So, And for us, I noticed that when it came to the actual kind of archival work, it was really, I had three months to play around with because after that I'm giving tours and then the summer season's here and you have to be with customers upstairs. And then the Little League World Series kicks in. And then September you're like, I need a little bit of a break. And then you have October, 
uh, November to do stuff, December holiday season, it's a little bit tough. And then January and then February, you're getting ready for the tour season. So it was the first time I actually had time to really work on some digital projects. So we are digitizing both the games. We also, uh, so the Little League main page Facebook um, on their main page, they were airing a lot of those old games. And so, which is great. And we're resharing them. So anybody can watch, you know, the World Series from 1968. And it's great to see the, that footage. And so we were able to provide that content for people. We're still digitizing right now. Uh, once it got warm outside though, and we knew that the museum was going to be closed, we knew people were going to be visiting the museum or, or the complex. And so the stadium's right behind us. And we knew, we thought, well, what can we provide people? And with that audio tour guide that we talked about earlier, the one in different languages, we also created one for the outside. So there's six areas in our complex that you can visit. And we just decided, let's take that audio and put it on the website. Somebody who's stopping by can go to the, each of the spots, pull out their cell phone and listen to those things. And they get some more information about the um, literally Howard J. Lomity Stadium, Volunteer Stadium, the Grove, et cetera. And so it was a nice little feature that we we're at least providing for somebody. Then we were still in a position that we're still uh, open to the public. And we also knew schools weren't gonna be coming in regardless. All the schools in our area were no field trips. Um, so they said, can you create stuff for us in your for the classroom? And it was something that a project that we were going to do a couple years down the road, it just got amplified. We're going to do this now. And so we um, were very fortunate that we have a really good um, video production staff and we have a production studio now um, in the museum basement, but the, the production staff is actually part of the Little League organization. So they create some really great videos and content. I would encourage anybody to go to uh, littleleaguevideos.com, I think, or to, you can watch old games, but you can see some of the great content that they're creating over there. So we were able to film a virtual tour. And so we've been able to give a couple of them and we're going to continue doing that in the future, we've decided. It would be great for us. We have a team from California that comes to the Little League World Series. Maybe their school would like to reach out to us and we can zoom into their classrooms and give a live presentation along with the videos that we've created. Okay. So we're really excited about being able to do that. Like I said, it was one of those things where, oh, we'd love to be able to do that. And it was like, we have to do it because you, you want to be able to help out. So going forward, um, we're going to be able to go into different classrooms from around the country. And we're also like the education part too, we're working with, um, some folks on creating a great education package to go along with the, the videos that we're hoping will be done here soon. So our whole, we'll have a, a website that'll be all about education projects for kids to work on. So it was one of those things where it was the first time we had the time to work on things that we might not have been able to do. And so I joked around that we did about five years worth of digital work in the span of a couple of months, which is great. Mm -hmm. We even digitized old programs, Little League programs from the 50s, um, score books I'm doing right now. Um, we're all we're doing it all in-house because we, we had the time to do it. And all that stuff that we've been working on is used either by the Little League organizations, used by us as well. 
um, there was a great photo on our webpage recently, and that was something that we digitized, you know, that we never used before. Now we have, I have, I just digitized some great photos from 1957. We just never had them digitized. So, so that's been nice. And we know that we can do that in the future. As far as the rest, I mean, it's been tough. I understand it's been tough for everyone because there's a lot of uncertainty still, you know, with everything going on right now. We didn't have a Little League World Series last year, which is the first time since 1947. And that was very strange to not have that going on. And um, it was weird. I went over to the, I live near the complex. So I was over there like during the time and it was like so quiet. So coming back into the offices back in January, there was still an uncertainty whether we would have a Little League World Series. Um, it was announced that we are having one. And however, we had decided that the museum would wait to reopen until the fall after the Little League World Series. And, you know, it's just a matter of staffing issues that we would have that. Um, and also just, you know, let's try to get the World Series up and running. It's not going to be the same World Series that we've had in the past, but the kids are still going to get visit the museum and, and um, get that experience. But it, it, it's been, yeah, it, it's just been a weird year and a half. And some really good things have come out of, you know, on the digital side, but there's also like, you know, we're still adjusting to, and, and we, one of the nice things I will say is being in the, the museum community is everybody really did kind of rally around each other. And so you could ask questions about, Hey, how are you guys doing this? Another museum. I know that we're members of the uh, Isha or Isha. And so we were able to kind of lean on them to see what other places are doing. So, hey, how are you opening and what are your safety plans? And so there were a lot of that and, and other organizations as well where, you know, I think we all got used to using Zoom and, and you could really talk to other museums and, and kind of lean on each other. So, but I'm, it's going to be interesting to see because I, I, I don't know what it's going to be like once we are reopened. Like, I think it's going to be, it's going to be great. But at the same time, though, there is like a little bit of a difference. It's, 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 it's just been a try to get sure. through to the next day type situation. So. Yeah, it's uh, been a challenge for a lot of museums, I know. So it's, it's also been cool, though, to see um, International Sports Heritage Association, ISHA, kind of rally together and I'm a part of that group as well as a like a emerging member so seeing that from the outside and then getting to talk to folks like you that are working in the museum and trying to make it through and digitizing and uh, that's been a common theme through the podcast is like you have all this time now now you can uh, digitize or do some social media marketing or programs that you couldn't do before. And like you said, like everything was accelerated because you had these plans like longer term, but then the world kind of shut down. So then you had the time and then you had to get content out there and stuff like that. So that's definitely been a common theme. Yeah. So as we wrap up here, Adam, where can people find the, the museum in person um, when it reopens in the fall and then online? Sure. The uh, museum is located in South Williamsport, Pennsylvania. It's in the middle of the state in Lycoming County, right off Route 15, which is a major highway that goes through the state. And it's basically where the Little League World Series is played. So, and then online, you can find us at, you can go to the littleleaguemuseum.org. And then we also have our Facebook, which is um, Facebook 
backslash Little League Museum. So we're going to be ramping up our content on there and showing some of the cool things that we've digitized over the, the past couple of months then as well. So Facebook is where we're going to do most of our updates. Yeah, I'm excited to see all the cool stuff you'll put out in August when the Little League World Series comes to town. And we'll uh, be sure to link to those social media pages and the website as well on our show notes for the episode. So people can definitely check that out and make it up to Williamsport um, in the fall when the museum reopens. I, I hope to get up there. I've never been to Pennsylvania. I know it's a pretty part of the country and I've never been. So hopefully some point I can make it up there and visit the world of Little League Museum. So thank you, Adam, for your time. And this has been a really fun conversation. All right. Thanks for having me. Adam mentioned Major League Baseball's presence in Williamsport in recent years with the Little League Classic, where two MLB teams interact with the Little League players and then play a game in Williamsport. The 2021 iteration is on August 22nd between Cleveland and the Los Angeles Angels. With that in mind, I thought it'd be fun to take a look at some male and female Little League alums who have made it big as adult athletes as well. To start, there have been three players who have competed in the Little League World Series, the College World Series, and Major League Baseball's World Series. Ed Vosberg, Jason Veritek, and Michael Conforto. Ed Vosberg is a left-handed pitcher who competed in the 1973 Little League World Series, the 1980 College World Series with Arizona, and he won a World Series ring with the Florida Marlins in 1997. Jason Veritek famously participated in the 1984 Little League World Series with his Florida team, played for Georgia Tech in the 1994 College World Series, and was the catcher for two championship Boston Red Sox teams in 2004 and 2007. Michael Conforto is the most recent member of this elite group, having played in the 2004 Little League World Series, the 2013 College World Series for Oregon State, and just two years later in the 2015 World Series for the New York Mets. Several other Little League World Series alums have played in the MLB World Series, including Gary Sheffield and Lance Lynn. Kevin Cash, former MLB player and current Tampa Bay Rays manager, became the first person to play in Williamsport and manage in the World Series when the Rays competed for the title in 2020. And not to be outdone, more than 30 graduates of the Little League softball program competed at this year's Women's College World Series, including three for the national champion Oklahoma Sooners. And nine softball players have competed in both the Little League Softball World Series and the Women's College World Series. That's pretty incredible. In this year's MLB draft, 29 of the first 75 picks competed in Little League, and Alex Garbrick, who was selected by the Phillies in the 17th round, made it to Williamsport in 2011. And speaking of prospects, Royals first base prospect Nick Prado delivered the championship winning hit for his Ocean View Little League squad out of Huntington Beach, California against Japan in the Little League World Series championship game in 2011. Another Kansas City connection to the Little League is Chief star quarterback Patrick Mahomes. He starred for the Rose Capital East Little League in the Junior League World Series in 2010, where his team finished as runner-up. For those who don't know, Junior League is the next age group from what we typically see in Williamsport. They have their own separate World Series. The coolest story I found when researching is that of Chrissy Wendell. In 1994, she became the first girl to catch a Little League World Series game and the fifth girl overall to participate. And in 2019, she was inducted into the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame as one of the most decorated female ice hockey players ever. Representing the U.S. internationally, Chrissy won one gold medal, six silvers, and one bronze during her amazing career. What an amazing Little League story. I found all of these incredible alumni via the Little League website's alumni section. Find the link in this episode's show notes. You can find the World of Little League Museum online at www.littleleague.org backslash worldoflittleleague or in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, smack dab in the middle of the Little League World Series complex. Look in this episode's show notes for the museum's website and Facebook page, plus a link to the alumni website. Thanks to Adam for being such a great guest.
I hope you enjoyed episode 12 of Hallowed Ground, the sports museum podcast. Please leave Hallowed Ground a five-star rating and review wherever you listen. It definitely helps the podcast gain exposure. I'll see you next time, sports fans.